today we are here testifying in our presence and on our voices uh, and our prayers that Jesus is the name above all names. We love Jesus here. Thank you. I could use that. Appreciate that. Awesome. You know, it's been quite a week for many of us, uh, and uh, each week brings new circumstances, new trials and tribulations. And this week, as our church family, uh, Kathy and I would like you to know that we are praising God for his protection and his grace. This week, uh, our son and daughter-in-law in Texas who are ch- planting a church there were T-boned. Yeah. And God protected. He still has a purpose for them here in this time. Sure, they're all shaken up. They're all sore. Uh, there's some scrapes and those small wounds, but... They're good. Cars totaled, absolutely totaled. Hit and run, and he's gone in the wind. We pray that police are able to do what they have to do. And all of this will come to a really gospel end. I'd love that person to hear the gospel, wouldn't you? They, they need to know that Jesus can change their lives and that Jesus protected our son and our daughter. Now, in light of everything, as we get into this message, that's actually a small thing because around the world, other things are playing out right now. Other tragedies are happening. And this past year, of course, we see uh, the, the war in Ukraine. It's terrible, isn't it? The loss of lives. This week, Israel and uh, Palestinians are at war. And the Bible tells us we need to pray for the peace of Israel. And so to start this message, I'm going to pray for the peace for that region. Peace between uh, Palestinians and our beloved Israel. Would you join me in your hearts? Father, we pray this week and thank you for the caring hand, the protective hand that you've had on our lives. Many of us have stories to tell that really share the truth that you are always there your sovereign presence is always there and and protecting sometimes injuries are greater and sometimes they're less like in this case but you're always there and we pray now that you would be in the middle east in a very special way that you would bring peace to that region we don't know how that'll happen but we ask that you would protect lives particularly infants and women and children and non-combatants. We pray that out of this, Jesus will be lifted up. People will recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and that he's coming soon. So help us to prepare our hearts this morning as we get into your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, you set this side apart, this uh, story of Cameron apart, and you, and you set the, the situation in the Middle East apart, in Ukraine. We know that there are many moments in our lives, many situations where there is great pain and great loss. And so, this morning, we're going to take some time in Mark 7, 31 to 37, where we see uh, a man who's experienced loss throughout his whole life. 
And the pain of that loss was predominantly social and relational. But God came, Jesus came and met him right where he was at. And so we read, I thank Kathy for reading Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. And so if you were here with us last week, you know that Jesus uh, healed a woman's daughter. And he did that so wonderfully and so miraculously. And now we come to another healing. And as we read this morning, it seems that Jesus has moved from the city of Tyre, which is outside of Israel, and uh, it's in that Syrian area, uh, in modern-day Syria, and uh, has moved, uh, I should say Tyre is modern uh, Lebanon, actually, and he's gone in a, a kind of a circular route up to Sidon, and then he swung back around down to the south to uh, an area called the Decapolis, Daca meaning ten, Apolis meaning cities, and he's in this well-known region for these ten cities. Uh, and these cities are particularly of interest because they're outside of the ruler of Judea, which is Herod Antipas. We know Herod, boo Herod. And uh, we know that he is not in control there. And this whole region of the Decapolis is a significantly pagan region. They would uh, worship Zeus and Aphrodite and Artemis and Dionysus. You know all these from school, high school, you probably studied a little bit of Greek mythology. And so this area was truly a center of paganism. And Jesus uh, ends up in a, a city called Gerasa, and he's already been there. You remember the, the man with the the demons in him, the legion of demons, and he heals that man with a simple word, and the, and the legion leaves him. So to get a little more context, do you have your Bibles? Turn to Matthew. Remember we were in Matthew 15 last week? Matthew 15. Well, it carries on there that the same story is in Matthew, but it's not in as much detail as this one in Mark is, but it says in Matthew 15, 29, Jesus went out from there, from where he was in Tyre, and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So we don't hear, as we do in the Mark account, that he circled down back to the Decapolis, which is around the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain, sat there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Yeah, they see God at work. They see Jesus doing the things only God could do. So as we come to the story about this one man that's pointed out in Mark, I think we recognize that there is more than just physical deafness and more than just physical muteness. In life, we all begin both spiritually deaf and spiritually speechless. This is our starting point. And this is one of many stories in the scriptures uh, that tell us of God at work in a life. This man who couldn't hear and had, it was unable 
to speak. At least what he said was mumbles that could not be understood. But I want to do something this morning. I think it, it comes out of the scripture, and I, I believe it's, we, we can do this here. I want us to look at this story and consider how this poor soul, this uh, deaf and mute man represents each one of us in many ways, in so many ways. As Matthew provides an overview, Mark gets down to the nitty-gritty of this dear man's life. So let's, let's take some time and see what this man's life, how it relates to ours. And see some spiritually important truths for our lives. The first one is Jesus is absolutely aware of where you are at spiritually. Think of this. Maybe you've come to know Christ for a long time now, but just remember back when. He knows. He knew where you were at spiritually. Uh, so much to learn from this little interaction. Uh, let's, let's contemplate this relationship with Jesus and us. Jesus was there. They were bringing many, as it said, crippled, blind, mute, all kinds of various ailments. And think of this. Jesus knew each of those people before they were put in front of him. Remember, he's God. He knew each and every person and their needs perfectly before they were put in front of him. And God knows each and every one of our needs this morning. You have a need this morning, don't you? Your heart is aching, maybe over a loss. Uh, maybe there's, there's a job you need or there's healing, physical healing you need. He knows that. Uh, it's like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew all about you. And he still knows you. He continue, he, nothing has changed. He knows you. And then John 1.48, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. <laughs> Guys, Jesus knows us wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. And so that's why he, he knew this man's need. And so we found out in verse 32, they brought to him a man who was deaf, Mark 7, and had a speech impediment. Now, I don't know what the actual case here is, but it is possible that he began life hearing and then he lost his hearing somehow because he, he, was, uh, he had a speech impediment. It means he might have been able to communicate a little bit, but not enough. There was almost no ability to communicate. And, you know, in those days, there wasn't the medical systems that we have today. Uh, they didn't have cochlear implants like they have today, which gives deaf individuals uh, the ability to hear sound and, and start to pick up voices and, and other sounds. Piling on top of the issues of not being able to hear, this dear man was probably, uh, you know, most often found in a corner. Just think about it. He can't engage with the, the people around him. He's not hearing the conversation. He cannot interact. And as, not to mention, he, he could have easily been judged as one who had some kind of sin or maybe his parents sinned. Because remember John 9, when as he says he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. That was a prevalent uh, mindset that if you had a major issue like that, somebody in your lineage or yourself has sinned and brought this upon you. We want to let you know that wasn't the case. And more importantly, Jesus knew this man. He knows, knew his physical needs, and he knows your spiritual condition this morning, our spiritual condition this morning. And I look at this as an amazing pathway to relationship with the Father. How he's there, and he doesn't know that the answer to his prayers is not far away. He's a disconnected person. And just like he, as a deaf man, is disconnected, isolated from God, from hearing the truth about the fact that God is nearby and can heal him, we're disconnected in the same way. Oftentimes not understanding what we really need to come into a right relationship with God. Just think. Put yourself in his place. He's in the room. He's He's in the conversations, but he's not a part of those conversations. He doesn't really follow them unless somebody painstakingly tries to use some kind of gestures to let him know. So he's disconnected, and uh, so are we. Oftentimes we're in the room and we don't get it. Even some, oftentimes in a church service, people come and they're looking for something, but they don't know what it is. So... They're still in the room hearing about God, but they're still not quite getting it. How many people have walked out of a church service where the gospel has been preached clearly and they just didn't get it? This deaf man was unaware that Jesus was there. And, and that even if it was a spiritual conversation he could have with somebody, he, he might not have understood it. He might not have really got it. I think being in a pagan culture... He might have understood that his friends and family worshipped some kind of gods. There are many that they might have worshipped. But would they have understood that God was Jehovah? Everybody knows that there is a creator. Even those who say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe it. Deep down in their hearts, they would, like Paul says in Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. You know, when an atheist dies and, and is before God, he can't say, God, you didn't give me any clues. They're all there. God has revealed himself in the basics of how this world operates. They're without excuse. This dear man would have been potentially able to perceive the existence of God, but his knowledge would have been really quite basic. His knowledge of God would have come through what he's seen in the people around him and their ignorance as pagan families. Spiritually speaking, the deaf man would be very unaware and ignorant of Jehovah God and his truth. Ephesians 4, 7 and 18 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must 
no longer walk as the Gentiles do in their futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Pagan nation just had hard hearts. They didn't want to know God as God wanted him to be known in their lives. Then John says in John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You really can't hear God unless you're of God, that you're a child of God. And that's how we are before we're in Christ. We have to have ears that are open, hearts that are open, so that we can hear the truth plainly. And also this man in his deafness had this speech impediment and was unable to talk. And I see that also in, in human beings. Um, before we know God personally, all we can do is mumble to God. And, and, and he has to look into our hearts and see what we really need. Because we often uh, ask God for things that are totally out of his will. Uh, we seek him in ways that are totally out of his will. And so we are so much like this deaf man. That when you come to Jesus or when you are brought to Jesus, Jesus knows about our spiritual condition. He knows you can't hear spiritually. He knows you don't know how to talk spiritually or how to pray even. He knows that your ears need to be open and your mouth freed. And so let's consider a second observation. First one uh, is the fact that we're absolutely aware, uh, he is absolutely aware where we are at spiritually, but secondly, there are people in your life who care about you, and I want you to stop and think about that. There are people in your life who care about you. If you are a Christian today, if you've given your heart to Christ, trusted him, think about those people you know in your family who cared enough about you to pray for you, that you would come to know Jesus. Maybe one of those family members actually brought you to church and said, you need to hear this truth about who Jesus is. Or maybe they shared the truth in love and you came to faith in Christ. You know, while you're spiritually deaf, there are people who care about you and who do know Jesus. And look at what it says in Verse 32 of Mark 7. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. This is, this is wild. They actually begged him. That word beg is a word in the original language, uh, parakaleo. It's a word that uh, is to ask with urgency. Uh, their caring hearts were saying, Our friend, we want you to come. And I, Jesus Lay your hands on him. We know you are the only answer to his condition. And so in desperation, these, this man, this deaf man had friends who brought him to Jesus. And they begged Jesus to heal him. Is there anyone in your life that you're caring for like that? Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a, a family, extended family. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Maybe it's your spouse even. And you're crying out to God. 
They're begging God to open their eyes, open their ears, open their hearts to Jesus, that he would save them. That's what our ministry is all about. Yes, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors have a, for Christ, has this regal sound to it. We walk around with flowing robes on and, and we're saying, come to Jesus. Well, really, an ambassador, as we're told here, is somebody on their knees begging God to heal friends, family, neighbors from their sins. So they begged him with passion. They begged him. Also, not only did they beg Jesus, they had brought Jesus, it says. They brought him to the Savior. I remember in Mark, do you remember Mark 2, where the four friends brought the paralytic man, took him up on the roof, cut open the roof and put him down so that he could meet Jesus face to face and be healed? That's passion. The crowds are huge. And they loved this friend of theirs and knew the power of Jesus that they would do that. And typically, people need to be brought. People need to be brought to Jesus because the world is very alluring. And, and if you don't know Christ, what you see is what the devil wants you to see. He has a plan, and that is to distract you from life-changing relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want you to meet Jesus because when you come to Jesus with an open heart, he will transform your life forever. And by the way, Christian statisticians tell us that 80% of those who come to church alone, just church, for the first time, were invited by a friend or family member. You know what? It's not just bringing them to church. It's bringing them to see the love of God in the life of the body and to hear the love of God in the gospel message that we preach week after week here. And someone has said, sometimes you need people around you to believe God for you. You have people in your life who need you to believe in God for them. And I remember when I was adopted and brought into my family, my aunt was that person. She started praying for my salvation immediately. And she brought me to the throne before she even met me. She knew I was going to be a part of that family. And I, I feel the same compulsion to pray for my family members. Do you? Are you praying? Are you begging God? Are you pleading with God? Save my, my family members. Save my friend, my co-worker. Even though this man was deaf and he couldn't speak, he was still blessed because he had people in his life that loved him and cared for him enough to bring him to Jesus, to intercede on his behalf by bringing him to Jesus. So, Jesus is absolutely aware of where you're at spiritually. He knows you intimately, wherever you're at. Christian, he knows where you're at now, what your needs are now. It didn't stop when you got saved. It didn't stop when you were born again. He still knows where you're at. Secondly, there are people in your lives who care about you. And if you're here today without Jesus, you're here possibly because somebody brought you. Because they love you and care about you. If you're here today, somehow you heard that going to church might be the answer. And we love you now and you're in our care. We're going to urge Jesus to save you. Thirdly, Jesus meets you in the very particular of your situation. Think about this. 
we all have unique lives. So a lot of similarities, but there's some uh, direct uniqueness in our lives. I find it interesting, verse 33 of Mark 7. It says, and taking him aside from the crowd privacy, privately. So he, here's this deaf man, mute man, brought to Jesus. And he was healing all kinds of people. We saw that in the Matthew account of all kinds of ailments. But for some reason, I think there's a couple reasons for sure, he took him away privately. A little bit unusual, not the typical pattern of Jesus' healing ministry. Maybe it was um, uh, the mission of teaching this man about the kingdom of God and, and the crowd uh, about the kingdom of God, and that healing is secondary. I mean, it, it, it's wonderful, wonderful to be healed, but if we don't understand really what life is all about, which is the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the healing is, is really not important. But also, he, he had taken his disciples away for rest and mentoring, and uh, the massive crowds would be building up, and, and this young man, uh, maybe he needed to take him aside to, to do what I think he should have been doing, uh, or was trying to do, is focus on him. For some reason, there was a particular focus that he wanted to share with this young man, this, this man, we don't know his age, in a private moment. Undivided attention he gave this man. I think that alone was special. Can you imagine the, the king of kings, the lord of God himself, and you have a private moment with him? That's what he had with Jesus. But it really reminds me that Jesus saves each one of us. One person at a time. You know, uh, we've seen on TV maybe some, some evangelistic cru crusades. When Billy Graham was here, uh, he did massive crusades. If you look uh, in Africa and around the world, there are still massive crusades going on where people are giving their heart to Christ. But guess what? Jesus saves those people one person at a time. Feel blessed about that. He knows your needs, he knows exactly your particulars, and he is coming to you one person at a time. And today, maybe there's some one person here who needs Jesus, and he's here for you. He's here for you, one person at a time. And he meets you right where you're at. He knows what you need, and he knows what you're dealing with. Fourth, Jesus has a specific care plan for you. Look at uh, verses 33, 34 of Matthew, uh, Mark 7. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. How wonderful. He blessed this man with undivided attention. He shows a compassion and kindness, which is his the mode of operation that has always been for Jesus. And he communicates with him exactly as this man needed, using gestures and nonverbal signals. This man couldn't talk. He couldn't understand. So Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. Because, you know, remember that for many years, maybe people were thinking he was filled with an evil spirit. And Jesus, by putting his fingers in his ears, immediately says, I know what your problem is. You can't hear. A simple gesture, 
to let the man know he understood his medical condition. And then after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, Jesus didn't need to spit to heal anyone, but in that time and that era, often people thought there was some magical healing that is found in saliva. Can you believe that? They thought saliva brought healing. And so Jesus is saying, I am about to heal you. I can only imagine the excitement that's building in this man's heart. And then he looks up to heaven. Jesus is, again, a nonverbal motion. He's saying, I am looking to God the Father to heal you. I I also know that Jesus uh, operated solely under the influence of the Holy Spirit and God the Father. He did nothing of himself. As a matter of fact, it says uh, that in... Uh, Mark 7, uh, where is that? It says in John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, the disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Jesus had done this on several occasions. He looked up and he prayed. When he fed the, the thousands of people, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, when he gave the great high priestly prayer in John 17, he looked up and he prayed. And so in order to communicate that he was putting his soul trust for this man's healing in the Father and God, uh, he, he prayed, looking up. And lastly, it says, Jesus sighed. Uh, the word sigh in the original could also be the word groan. He groaned. I can only imagine that Jesus was sighing or, or groaning over how sin had just destroyed this world. From the time of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, sin brought nothing but wreckage. It brought nothing but breaking down bodies. Uh, w- without sin, that wouldn't have been the case. And he sees this dear man being deaf and being mute, and I, could, I would sigh with him that if it hadn't been for sin entering this world, this would not be the case. This was a compassionate sigh, a sympathetic groan for, th- for this man and for those many who were like him. I know how the psalmist said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Psalm 32, he says, he tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And so Jesus sighs, he groans. Jesus cared deeply about this man and he cares cares deeply about us. He cares deeply about you. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, he cares And so what Jesus did for this man and and how he worked in this man's life reminds me, should remind us how we should care for those who are lost, for those who are under uh, the curse of sin. When we beg God, when we pursue God for others, it's okay to feel the weight of that, to sigh like Jesus sighed and say, Lord, heal, save, and come quickly. Fifth thing I want to remind us, Jesus, simply put, can set you free. Listen to what he says. He says, say that five times really quickly. 
but it's a great word. It's an Aramaic word. This man uh, and those around him, if any could overhear what he was saying, it simply means be open. Be open. One, it tells us, and his ears were opened. A flood of sound came into his life. Wouldn't you like to have been there just to experience that with him? Our son Cameron um, is, uh, was 80% deaf when he was born. We didn't know that till he was about 11. I mean, with that little bit of hearing, everybody adjusted and, and he learned how to lip read and he could hear enough to form his words. We didn't know until he was 11. But at 11, we discovered some things that just weren't right, so we took him to a hearing specialist. I was at work. Kathy had taken him, and I got a call, and she said, he's been given two hearing aids. She said, we just started walking down the street, and he looked up, and his face was bright, and he said, what is that? What am I hearing? And all she could think of, you're hearing the wind. There's a little bird. She said, maybe you're hearing the little bird. He heard things that he had never heard before. What a moment, she said. His face just lit up because he could hear. What would it have been like for this man who heard nothing and in front of the God of this world who healed him and brought, he just all of a sudden heard everything, the commotion, the people calling out to Jesus, Jesus' dear voice. Be opened. He went from nothing to perfect hearing. And that's what he does with us as sinners, where we could not hear God. When he opens our ears, we can hear the voice of God and the delight that we have. You remember when, when God opened your heart, your spiritual ears to him, the delight you had. But not only that, this man spoke plainly. The tongue, his tongue in verse 35 was released. That word released is the word desmond. And uh, it simply means to be freed from bonds or chains. It's like his mouth, his tongue was tied, as we say. And now it is absolutely set free. Not only just that he can speak a little bit, it says that he could speak plainly. That word in the original language is the word ortho. And we get the word such as orthodox, right thinking, orthodox thinking. And it also means uh, orthodontics we get from that today where we have straight teeth. So the guy could speak absolutely correctly and in a straightforward fashion. In other words, there was no time that he needed to learn to uh, relearn how to speak or to learn how to speak again. He could speak immediately, talk right, speak correctly. What would have his first words been? What would your first words have been to Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. And praise God. I can only imagine they were words of praise. Because when the, a person comes to faith in Christ, that their life has been transformed, you will, like I have many times, seen the transformation to right speaking, to plain speaking, a speaking that is straightforward. I remember one of our young men a couple years ago. He's in his teens. His name is Jake Hanks, and many of you know Jake. Before, the, two or three years back before that, Jake was 
you know, really wasn't involved with anything that was really spiritual. He was living his life as a teenager. Do you want to know where Jake is today? Because a couple years ago, he got right with God. Today, he's in Thailand right now preaching the gospel. Within two years, he's in another country leading people to Christ. I saw pictures of him baptizing people in another country. But that's two years. Do you know what happened in the first few weeks? I know that he was in Peterborough on the street talking about Jesus to everybody who would listen. Anybody who would listen. Why? Because when Jesus makes your speech when he, he transforms your life, he makes your speech all about him. You can't not talk about Jesus. You want to tell everybody about the love, the grace, the kindness of Jesus. That's what happened to Jake Hanks. And maybe some of you here today have stories like that. All you want to do is tell people about how God changed your life, transformed your life. Jake and many others are like people who never spoke about God before, now all they can do is talk about God. Never prayed, now they delight to talk to God. Never sang praise to God, they now worship God freely with their whole hearts and look for others to worship Him too. Never talked to others about Jesus, now all they want to do is tell people about Jesus. They now speak plainly about the things of God. So Jesus can set you free. And when he does, look out, people around. You're going to hear about it. Lastly, I love this part. Just look at verses 36 and 37. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. Because guess what? Jesus does everything well. I don't want to miss that point. Jesus does everything well. But he says in verse 36 and 37, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. So he, he heals the man, and everybody's excited. How can you not be excited? And he has to charge them, command them, tell no one. Because as the crowds are swelling again, remember, we're not even in Israel, we're in pagan land. And, you know, when the man was freed from legion, he went around telling everybody. And I think a lot of people started to believe that Jesus was God. And so the crowds are swelling. Unfortunate part about the crowds is there are probably many of them more interested in what they could get from Jesus than what uh, he was asking for the surrender of their lives. The crowds were beginning to see Jesus in the light of a political leader as opposed to an, uh, a spiritual leader. So there's some negatives about having large crowds. However, in their astonishment, they couldn't help but spread the news. They were astonished beyond measure. Uh, in the Greek, there's a little... Uh, prefix there for that astonished, the word astonished. Hooper is the prefix. It means super, exceedingly, mind-blowing, excited beyond measure about what Jesus is doing and who he is. And they said so clearly, he has done all things well. What a wonderful statement about our Lord. 
He's done all things well. Just like in the beginning when God finished the creation, uh, we see every time, and it was good. It was good. It was very good. Jesus' healings never failed. Wherever he said be healed, people were healed. Absolutely, completely. He did. He does all things well. He never does anything sloppy or under um, substandard. What he begins, he finishes. And he always does it to perfection. And Christian, you are his perfect work. I know we're not where we want to be. We are still growing in our perfection. But God the Father sees us as perfect. He sees us through the lenses uh, that are covered with the blood of Christ, who, uh, as he looks us, at us through the blood of Christ, we're perfect, we're whole, we're complete. And our lives are just about living out that perfect identity in Christ each week. And you know what? He's not going to stop working in us and through us. It says in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure that this, of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's just a reminder by the Apostle Paul that, yes, we're still under construction. In God's eyes, we're perfect. But in practicality, we're still growing. We're still learning to be more and more like Jesus. And he's not finished helping us to do that. And so Mark 7.37 does all things so well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, the crowd says. They focus in. And I think if they knew what they were saying, they would go and they would look up in Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verses 4 and 5, as we conclude. It says this. A thousand years earlier, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold. Your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus' healings were in accordance with fulfilling God's promises. Fulfilling the words of the prophets that God had put in their hearts. And Jesus saying, here I am. I'm the one who was promised. Jesus does everything wonderful. So let me close by reminding us today of what Jesus said to this man so clearly. Be opened. Ephaphatha. Be opened. And to bring it towards ourselves rather than just looking out. One, God wants us that, that our ears of our hearts would be opened. Are you listening for God's speaking in your life? Are you hearing what God is telling you? Maybe he's telling you an area that you need to really focus on to grow in. Maybe he's telling you this morning or in these days uh, about a person you need to be praying for and, and caring for, loving on. But he wants your hearts to be opened. And therefore, secondly, he wants your mouth to be open, to, to praise him, uh, to not be afraid to go to someone and say, you know, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me, and he could do it for you. Are, are your ears open? Is your mouth open? And most importantly, is your life open to what God wants for us?
to know, as I mentioned, young Jake, the first thing I remember him saying, I don't care what God wants me for me in my life. If it's from him, I want it. And so God's been doing some great things in his life, and I could tell you of others that have had that very same stance in their life. Whatever God wants of me, I don't care what the cost, I will follow God. And so this morning, church, is your life open? Are you hearing from God? Are you letting him speak into you so that you can speak, speak plainly about Jesus? Yeah.